to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and exchange Jesus' love. If you're a guest today, welcome. There are guest information cards located just outside the sanctuary door near the uh, in the narthex. Please fill one out and drop it in the basket. We look forward to connecting with you. Um, also, the nursery is open today, so the little kids can go in there. Um, and also, at the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. So you may give to the vision and the mission of the church by using the link on our webpage, www.intothevillage.net. Um, you can also mail a check to our address, um, tw- uh, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, or after the service, dropping your offering off at the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Um, so Sunday on the 27th, the village kids and the youth begin their spring term along with our new programs for the two to four-year-olds. Um, the first step, um, you can also look at the back of the worship guide for the spring schedule for the first steps, village kids and youth. Um, volunteers are needed for the spring term of village kids, so anyone who's interested, please contact Miss Mary Lindblom. Her email address is listed in the worship guide. Um, and also, there's going to be a meeting after church for the first steps nursery. Um, yeah. Good morning. Um, I like to think about songs as um, sometimes you have a song that's a declaration. Sometimes it's a reminder, a song that I'm singing. I'm singing to the Lord. But oftentimes songs are songs that I'm singing to myself to remind myself of God's truth or to remind myself of a particular action that I I need to take. And so this song that we're about to do is one of those types of songs. It's a song of declaration for us as a body of our purpose and why we are here. We've come to worship. We've come to worship. We've come to worship. All glory belongs to him. Um, And that's basically the song. And then it says, glory to God in the highest, glory forever. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. All glory belongs to him. So I'm reminding myself of why I'm here. We are reminding each other of why we are here. And then we're making a loud, fervent declaration of acknowledgement to the Lord that all glory belongs to him. So please join with me as we sing this song. It's a simple song, 
but I think you'll catch it very easily.
Our call to worship this morning is taken from the song, Here I Am to Worship. Please stand if you are able and join with me where it says all. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above, humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you are my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me.
Reagan will be reading Mark 12, 1 through 9. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and pilf and built a tower and released it to the tenant and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Then they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent them another servant, and they struck him in the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and him they killed. And so with so many others they beat, and some they killed. He had one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect you, my son. But those tenants said to another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to the others. Amen. You have heard the word of God.
to die for us. Lord, to lay down his life that many may come be sons and children of his. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the sun that you caused to shine. We, we thank you for the rain that you caused the floor to water the earth. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that how you provide for us when we're not even thinking about ourselves. I get upset when it rains. But, Lord, you are looking out for me. You're giving me water to drink and vegetables to eat. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the lights and the water. Lord, we thank you for the blood pressure is in place. The temperature gauges are in place. That we're not feverish, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for you are putting everything, holding all things together by your word of your mouth, says Colossians. Thank you, Lord God, that even in a world that seems so unstable, war, things going on in Yemen, things going on in Ukraine, things going in Iraq, all over the world. And America, we can only focus on one thing at a time, which is Ukraine. But Lord, we know that you control Ukraine, Yemen, Iraq, all China, all of them at one time, Lord. You're Lord of the universe. So we're thankful for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're upholding the, the village church. We thank you, Lord, that you're establishing, establishing us, Lord. I pray that, Lord, we continue to be obedient, that we continue to honor you, that we continue to lift your name high, that we'll be a beacon on top of a hill. Lord, I pray for each individual in this room, that, Lord, we continue to search ourselves to see how we'd be most useful for you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand what it means to die to ourselves. I, I can't say that I've attained it yet. But, Lord, I know that you're working in us to do great things. So, Lord, I thank you for the word that's going to come forth, Lord. I pray that it come forth with power and conviction. I pray that you would help my brother Marcus, Lord God. I pray that you would be with him as he speaks to your people. And, Lord, that your people will hear your word and they will respond accordingly. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for the music. Thank you, Lord God, for your delivering power. Thank you, Lord God, for all things that you've done and that you're going to do in this week. Lord, I, we believe, but Lord, help us with our unbelief. Help us to trust you through the going forward this week, Lord, for things that we don't understand. And be wise enough to get on our knees and ask you for it and trust that you will do it. Lord, we believe, but help us with our unbelief. I pray that you will bless our pastor, Lord, in his travels, that he come back safe to us, Lord God, and his time will be sweet. Lord, I pray that going forward and that we continue to bless you with, this, uh, with the ministry today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Good morning. To my village family, it is so good to see your face. It is so good to be back in this place and standing in this pulpit once again. For the past few weeks, I've been traveling a bunch, doing a bunch of support raising and um, getting the word out there about RUF and Alabama A&M. And I'm not going to lie, that work, although it's great and it's so good to, to be among so many other congregations, it can get weary. And it's so restful and beautiful and warm and heartwarming to be standing back here with you all again. As always, I don't take lightly the opportunity that I have to stand in this pulpit. Um, it comes as a great honor and a great privilege to me to stand before God's people and deliver God's word and to help usher you not only in worship and singing and playing music, but in the, but in the speaking and the reading of God's word to usher you back to the seat of our Savior, who's worthy of honor and glory and power, and dominion forever. Amen? So when Alex first asked me to uh, give the sermon today, um, it's coming from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and it's titled The Anointing. And of course, we're moving through this uh, group of sermons focused on Easter. And uh, it's 
It's funny, the last sermon that I preached to this congregation was the wedding at Cana when Jesus first started his public ministry. And I don't think it's a coincidence, even though we didn't plan it this way, that the next time that I'm speaking to you right now, we're speaking on Jesus's conclusion of his public ministry, where his feet are anointed by Mary here in um, their hometown in, um, uh, sorry, I just lost my place, in Bethany. So again, I don't think it's a coincidence that the last time that I spoke to you, we were talking about Jesus and, and about how he came to do his father's work and how he was about his father's business and how even though he performed that first miracle and turned the water into wine and brought joy that ended the shame that would have been for these ancient Near East people, and he filled up those water jugs with wine and he brought this overabundance of joy. He did, all, he did all of these things so that people could focus on why he was there. He brought this overwhelming amount of joy at the wedding of Cana. And he did so not just for the people for the wedding or, or for himself, but so that people could set their focus on his hour and his time. Amen? And it's also interesting, in that party, in, in that sermon, Jesus was at a party. He was at a gathering. Right. Where they were selling where there was celebration and food, which is similar to this text today here at the end of Jesus's public ministry. He finds himself again once at a party where they're celebrating and food. Right. And Jesus is again giving this motif of his time and the work that he knows that he's here to do. We see again Jesus turning upside down the ways of doing things. Jesus is preparing for his end here in John chapter 12 verses 1 through 8 we see a scene that is set that is the beginning of the end for Jesus right the authorities are looking for him this happens in uh, John 11 leading up to here in John 12 his, his disciples were afraid that he'd be stoned so they were afraid to walk out in the public and so they were hiding in the wilderness. And it's interesting, there are some texts that even suggest that by this point in Jesus' ministry, some of, his, some of his disciples had fled and they had left him, right? And the people are gossiping in the streets about him, wondering if he would show up to the Passover festivities since there was an order out for his arrest. And the people were looking to stone him. And in the midst of all of that trouble, Jesus had just raised a man from the dead. Amen? Lazarus, his friend, who we will see again in this text, had just seen death and been raised from it. And Jesus had done so publicly so that, again, people could believe and people would know who Jesus is. And so the scripture sets the stage for the coming sacrifice that Jesus is preparing to make a week before Passover, a week before his triumphant entry, a week before his unfair trial, a week before he was beaten and bruised, a week before his death, and also a week before his resurrection. So let's read the text. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Hmm. For the poor, you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God. I do believe it's true. The grass may wither, the flowers thereof may fade away, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you humbly once again to say thank you. Thank you for being our God and thank you for allowing us to be your people. Father, as we begin to dig deeply into your word, let these words be written on the tablets of our hearts. And as we go forth from this place, let people see whose we are, that we are yours, your chosen people, and that you are our God. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what can we get from that text? What can we get from this scene that, that is painted here by John of Jesus in his last moments, just a week before he knows that he's going to go and face the ultimate sacrifice? I think it's interesting that in this story we see some characters that we've seen before some people who we already know, and yet we see a view of them that we might not have seen previously in the scripture, right? It leads me to ask questions like this. What is our posture before a risen living Savior? Are we humble and lowly? Are we serving those around us? Are we giving everything that we have to our Savior? who can raise men from the dead? Or are we proud? Is our posture puffed up? Are we judging those who are around us? Here back in Bethany, Jesus is eating a meal with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and the disciples that are left, including Judas. Now I think it's very interesting that some of the disciples at this point had already left, but not Judas. Judas stayed, right? Messy. And he stayed not for good reasons, but for reasons that get clearly uncovered here. And again, this is at a point in time towards the end of Jesus' public ministry, so surely Jesus knew exactly who Judas was at this point. And it's clear to think that he also knew who Lazarus and Mary and Martha were, right? But for us, the reader of this text, we get to see for the first time very clearly who Judas is, right? We'll get back to more of that in a minute. I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus' friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, keep showing up in this section of Scripture. I think they are imaging to us, the believer, in a way which we should be showing up for the kingdom here on earth how our posture should be before our God and how we can serve those around us. It's interesting, for the past few weeks at RUF at Alabama A&M, we've been digging through 1 Peter chapter 1. 
we've been learning about how we can show people on campus whose we are. First Peter chapter one calls us elect exiles. It tells us that we're God's chosen people. Right. And it lists all these things that we know that are true if we call ourselves believers. And then in first Peter chapter one, it turns and it starts to talk about what we should do with that. Right. How we should think, how we should act, how we should live out our lives, how we should be holy because he who called us is holy. Amen. And how we should gird up the loins of our minds and how we should think morally and decisively and how we should let God into all of our lives, into every aspect of our lives, into all of our conduct. That's what we've been digging through for the past um, few weeks with RUF. And it shows who we are and how we live our it, and how we live our lives and how we reflect to the world that we are God's people, right? I think here in this text in John 12, we can also see clearly who in this crowd are Jesus's people. And also we can see clearly who is not. Amen? Verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore comes to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That had happened just a chapter back in John. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, as she always does, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Verse 1 sets the scene. Just a week shy of Passover, nearing the end of Jesus' life, just before his ministry takes a turn for what seems to be the worst, his death, Jesus is at a party, right? Jesus is feasting and drinking, and laughing with his friends. Surely he knows what's coming next. Amen? But look at the posture that our Savior has. In the midst of the worst possible outcome, he's at a feast with his friends. And the text says that he's reclining at the table. I don't think it could paint a better picture for us of who Jesus is at this very moment. Right? It's not that strange for him. Because Jesus has a way of being calm in the chaos. Amen? This is the same Jesus that was asleep on the ship as it fell apart. Right? This is the same Jesus that fed a multitude of hungry people with just a small boy's lunch. Right? This is the same Jesus that stepped out of the boat and walked on water. The same Jesus who had just a few days earlier called a dead man back to life. This isn't strange for him to be in the midst of chaos, and to be calm, to be cool, to be collected, to be feasting, to be reclining at the table. Right. It's easy to operate in a calm wind, like a calm wind in the middle of the storm, when your posture is correct, and when you're about your father's business. Jesus was always focused on his hour, on his time on the work that was at hand to do his father's business. A week before his death, he's reclining with friends. He could do that because his posture was correct. So how can we as believers adapt a posture like Jesus has here in this text? Calm, cool, and collected. How can we, like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, gird up the loins of our minds and set our hope fully on Jesus? and not the world. This text continues to give us some great examples of how we can do that. First, it gives us Lazarus, right? 
Lazarus was there. Lazarus was Jesus's friend, Mary and Martha's brother. And now it's it's strange because there's not a lot of textual information about Lazarus other than those things. And in fact, none of the text records Lazarus even speaking a word. As many times as I had heard about Lazarus, I never realized that. That the text doesn't even record what Lazarus has to say. Only that he was a certain man. And that he was Jesus' friend. Amen? And that Jesus loved him. And that he was dear and close to our Savior. He was the one that Jesus mourned when he died. He was the one that Jesus wept for. He was the one that Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus had seen death and also had seen the power that Jesus held firsthand. Lazarus was a certain man. Not a lot of other people in the Bible could have possibly known Jesus as intimately as Lazarus did. Amen? I think it's fair to say that Lazarus had a relationship with Jesus. Amen? So the posture that Lazarus holds is one of a friend who has a relationship with a risen Savior. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Look at Lazarus' posture here in this text, reclining at the table with Jesus. I think that's an appropriate posture that we too can also assume. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can rest at the table with him. Amen? The work is already done. And Jesus has already accomplished it. And because we, like Lazarus, have a relationship with him, we can take time and recline at the table, even in the midst of chaos, because we serve a Savior who also does the same thing. And when we're with him and when our posture matches his, we too can recline at the table, even when the people are out there looking for him, just like the people were looking for Jesus. Even when the world is at war, even when there's chaos all around, if our posture is right and we have a good relationship with our Savior, we too can recline at the table and feast with Jesus. Amen? We were once dead in our sin, but God loved us so much, just like Jesus loved Lazarus, that we are no longer dead to our sin. Amen? Martha was there serving. Mm. But not like before in the text when the last time that we heard Martha serve and she grumbled and complained and she was frustrated. This time Martha doesn't say a word. Last time in the text Martha was upset because she was serving and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. And she was frustrated because she was doing all the work. And Martha was, and, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. But look at Martha's posture in the, here in this text. Serving. Without a need to be seen. Without a need to get a reward. Without a need to speak up. She served. Unabated. Fully committed to the work that was at hand. Serving Jesus. I can't think of a better place to be than serving our Savior. Amen? 
So again, I think it's an appropriate posture that we too can also assume, serving the kingdom by serving each other, like-minded believers in Jesus, humble and lowly, serving. Amen? Verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Every time that Mary shows up in scripture, she's at Jesus' feet. I don't know about you, but I think that's a good place to be. Amen? When he was teaching, she was at his feet. When she needed her brother to be healed, she went to Jesus' feet. And now when she comes to say thank you and give um, uh, glory to, to uh, Jesus, where does she go? To his feet. And she gave everything that she had. She gave the thing that was most valuable. The text suggests that, it w- that the ointment that she used would have cost 300 denarii. And at that time, 300 denarii would have been an entire year's wage and not just of an average person, but of an above-average worker, right? So if we were to equate that to, to, to today's money, you could call that about $100,000, right? So she had a small jar of ointment, of oil, that would have been worth about $100,000. Think about that for a second. Nard was an expensive oil and ointment that would have been imported from far away. And it would have been very hard to get, to, to get a hold of. And in ancient Near East culture, well-to-do people would have purchased a pound of this ointment as an investment to hold on to. Not to give away, but to hold on to. So that years down the road when they went to market, they would have something that was easy to port- e- easily portable that they could trade for $100,000. Think about that for a second. And even most well-to-do people couldn't get a hold of a pound of this ointment. Most folks would only be able to get a small amount, and they would use it for anointing the body before burial. Further back in the Old Testament, we see evidence of this same thing happening when a new king was selected, and they would anoint the feet of the new king. What a beautiful picture that the scripture paints for us here in the anointing that Mary does to Jesus' feet. She doesn't just come with a little because clearly Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were well-to-do people. I mean, they had a house big enough to host a feast for all of these people, right? And hidden away, she had a jar worth $100,000. That's a lot. Clearly, they were well-to-do people. And instead of taking this wealth and power and this authority that they could have used anywhere else, she uses it to anoint his feet. Other accounts tell of Mary breaking this alabaster box that that held this precious oil. Think about what that must have been like. To have a life savings stored away in a jar that cannot be easily opened, that must be broken to pour out. And you take that life savings and you break it at the feet of Jesus. 
and then you wipe his feet with your hair, which in ancient Near East culture would have been the ultimate sign of respect to put your head near someone's feet. And look at the aftermath of what happens after she does this. The text says that the house is filled with the the smell of the perfume. So by anointing Jesus' feet, she doesn't just bless Jesus, but she blesses the entire house that fills with the smell of this perfume. She came to the feet of her Savior and gave everything that she had. And it didn't just bless him, but it blessed the entire house. Amen? Think about what it must have looked like to take the most valuable thing that you have and give all of it to Jesus. Mary, out of all people, had a reason to do this. She knew him. Amen? She knew what Jesus could do. She just saw Jesus bring her brother back from the dead. Right? I'm sure you would be thankful too. Thankful enough to give everything that you have, unabated, unabound, to bow down at his feet and to anoint it with the most precious oil that you could find and then to go as far as to wipe it with your hair. She knew who Jesus was. Look at Mary's posture here in this text. Bow down, giving everything to the Lord, washing his feet with her hair. And again, in ancient Near East culture, that would have been the ultimate act of respect and honor. And her action gave not only to Jesus, but filled the house with fragrance. Everyone's blessed by her posture. Amen? I think that this too is an, appro- is an appropriate posture for us as believers to also assume. Humble, lowly, at the feet of our Savior, being a blessing to everyone around us. Amen? Her posture was at the feet of the Savior, and she gave everything that she had. Luke verse 6 says it like this, Give, and it shall be given unto you, right? Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will be put into your lap, for the measure you use it is the measure that it will be given back to you. I think there's no other example of how that plays out than right here at the feet of Jesus. Mary comes and gives everything that she has because she knows who Jesus is. And then Judas speaks. Hmm. And Judas speaks and makes a very good point, but misses the mark so much. Now, before we start digging into Judas, let's dig into ourselves. How many times have you spoke and just missed the mark? I know I have. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus, said, why was this, anoint- why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, hmm, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, used it to help himself to what was put in it. 
Judas could have cared less about the poor people that he mentions here. He spoke out of jealousy, out of indignation. Why would you use something so precious on Jesus? Mm. He has a point. Yes, this could have been spent elsewhere. Yes, we could have done this with with that money. But look at how far he misses the mark. Look at the posture of his heart. Look at the position that he was in when he makes this statement. His posture in the presence of a living and risen Savior is pride and indignation. And even though his words aren't untrue, Look at how far they missed the mark because of his posture. Be careful, people of God, that your posture is correct because we can easily be just like Judas and speak well but do evil. And it's not in the speaking that Judas failed. It's in his posture, and it's in his heart. Amen? Look at what Jesus says to him, verse 7. Jesus says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. People of God, the time that we have at the feet of Jesus is precious. The time that we have at the feet of Jesus is precious. It's just as precious as that oil that Mary broke the jar for and poured out onto his feet. I'd like to challenge you with this. Be looking for what and how you can give and not just what you can give. Let me close with this. We always show whose we are. Let me say that again. We always show whose we are. Amen? In our posture before a living Savior. Are we serving like Martha? Are we reclining at the table with him like Lazarus? Are we bowing low at his feet like Mary, giving everything that we have? Or is our posture like Judas who speaks well but doesn't mean it. As we go through our lives and grow closer to each other and grow closer to a living Savior in Jesus Christ, let us have a posture that is humble and lowly. And let us help each other to serve, to rest, and to worship at the feet of our Savior giving everything to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you once again humbly to say thank you for being our God. and Thank you for allowing us to be your people. Father, in this story of the anointing, let us be reminded of the posture that we take and the posture of our hearts and remind us, O God, to be humble 
and to be lowly and to serve you and to recline at the table and rest with you and to bow down before your feet. Because if we do this, just like Mary, we will bless the entire house and the house will be filled with the fragrance of the ointment that we use to come and anoint the feet of our Savior. Father, help us as we go forth to be more like you. And Father, pour out us and fill us up with you and with you alone. Father, it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we close.
filter off. So now I gotta fight this out. All right, people of God, take this as your benediction. May may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with each other in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace.